you know, we are moving into the fall with uh, some very significant headwinds. While I remain bullish on credit, many investors may look to take their gains and move into a more protected segment. Welcome to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. In these timely episodes, we provide the latest investment news and expert commentary on the markets, the economy, and investing. Brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. Hello, and thanks for joining us today. With the U.S. market more expensive than it was before the pandemic started, some investors are tempted to take profits and move to safer ground. To this end, Mark Race, Matt Montemuro, and Charles Monsieur provide an update on corporate credit, gold, and quality, taking a closer look at the recent history of these segments and answering your questions. Before we hear from our experts, please consider subscribing to the BMO ETFs podcast on your preferred podcast player and sharing it with your friends and colleagues. Hello, I'm your host, Mark Race. I'm the head of product for BMO Game Canada, covering ETFs and funds. Today, we are joined by Matt Montemuro, who is a fixed income PM, uh, and of course, covers not just fixed income, but across the shelf, has uh, some insights for us. And we've got a special guest today, uh, Charles Meisey, who's uh, able to step in as Chris and Chris are away this week. So a special thank you to Charles uh, for joining us today. So welcome, Charles. Welcome, Matt. Thanks, Mark. Thank you, Mark. Let's uh, let's dive right into things. And, and Charles, uh, I won't even give you a warm up. I'll put you put you right on the spot. Um, but let's look at the U.S. market. We continue to see the quality exposure, uh, or ZUQ, outperform the broad market. Um, what do you see as contributing to this continued outperformance? Where in July, ZUQ was up 6.2 percent. Um, where the S&P 500 was NSP only up 1.2 percent. So quite a spread. Um, are you thinking about earnings, just sector exposure, or even more of a broader effect, uh, considering the, the three screens we use, high ROE, stable earning growth, and, and low financial leverage? Your thoughts on quality, please. Hello, everyone. Uh, thank you, Mark. Uh, you are right. Uh, ZQ has outperformed the broader market in July, and outperformed uh, has come from all sectors of quality universe. And one of the reasons for the superior performance is because quality name has historically shown the capacity to experience less market drawdown during sell-off. At the same time, they tend to exit the market trough ahead of the pack. That dual capacity to preserve value during market pullback and to be investor first choice of investment during rebound, that's what has made uh, quality invest, investing, the preferred vehicle of uh, investor. And that's what has led to the performance that you mentioned. It all makes sense because when you look at, when you look closely at the quality names, these are companies which have very strong balance sheet. They have lower debt to service. And most importantly, they have plenty of cash. And this enables them to navigate the tighter market conditions like the one we experienced in, in, in March, while other companies are struggling. And uh, we, we're talking about uh, the company like Apple, Google, Visa, you know, uh, Microsoft, Amazon, you name it. 
and they, they tend to have a competitive advantage in their respective sector. And they operate uh, from the position of leader, uh, which allows them to set trends, to create high-margin products, and to generate high regional uh, capital. Great. Thanks for that, Charles. Yeah, one thing we, we like to think about quality is it appeals to both the bulls and the bears out there. So protection on the downside, participation on the upside. Uh, that portfolio has been very effective this year. But conversely, if, if we look at low volatility, and again, we'll use the U.S. market as, as the example. Uh, so looking at ZLU, it struggled a lot more in July, uh, actually down 3.4%. Now, we've been talking about low volatility as part of our defensive growth thesis and an investment theme. Does this still hold, or are market concerns so concentrated in the, let's call it, higher vol, new economy names? Uh, do you think that's going to continue with investors needing to then focus more on these types of exposures, or do you see value for low volatility still in the portfolios? Thanks. Uh, again, uh you know, with respect to LLU and most low-ball strategies, uh, they've, they've struggled indeed uh, since the month of uh, July. Uh, and But there is nothing alarming uh, here, uh, but the dynamic of the market uh, at play, as expected. So, so keep in mind that generally, uh, during sell-offs, low-ball strategy, low-ball fund, tend to experience smaller drawdown compared to the broader market. They preserve more value on the downside. And that's because we talk about defensive essential sector here, infrastructure, utilities, staple, bank, that are important for people's daily lives. Keep in mind, low vol is steady as you go, you generate value over time. So you don't lose money, you don't lose as much capital on the way down, but the, the low vol needs the broader market expansion, the broader market recovery for them to catch catch on the way up. So this is just the dynamic of a market playing here. But uh, you know, as you know, unless uh, unless we get the second wave of uh, uh, of COVID, uh, low ball should regain their value. So I will say uh, investing in low ball, and I'm, I myself have some allocation to low ball in my in my portfolios. Thanks, Charles. You know, when you when you think about the the valuations now in the marketplace and things looking even more expensive now than they did pre-COVID, I think an argument certainly can be made for a more defensive lowball position and, and the growing importance there. Uh, it's just a question of whether the momentum names that are out there continue to, to drive the market over the near term. So Matt, let's, let's change gears and go to fixed income here. Uh, we've seen corporate bonds continue to outpace uh, the broader fixed income market. Where do you see the spreads now compared to pre-COVID? And from that, is there still room on the spread trade or should investors be thinking more about balancing back to government bonds, uh, considering the risks on the table, you know, the virus, political trade and everything else that we're looking at? Thank you. That's a great question, Mark. Uh, 2020 has definitely been a wild ride for credit. Uh, so after a disastrous uh, March, we're now into our fifth consecutive month of corporate spread tightening, which is uh, quite startling if, if you think about how much it, it's widened and we've had now five consecutive months of outperformance in, in terms of cor in, in credit. Um, 
Tightening continues to be fueled by a, a multitude of factors. There's been a material slowdown in new issuance uh, over the summer, and, and that was uh, seen in July and has continued to be seen in August. Um, improved risk uh, sentiment uh, with you know, some positive news coming out on the vaccine front. You know, we see supportive uh, and underutilized uh, central bank on buying programs and then also better than expected earnings. So, you know, all these factors are, are, are um, helping right now tighten corporate spreads uh, across the board. So these have led to spread tightening. Uh, you know, we're starting to itch closer and closer to pre-COVID levels. And right now, if you look across the curve, spreads continue to be about 20% wider uh, than we saw pre-COVID. Um, but if you take a deeper dive, you know, not all parts of the curve um, saw equal tightening. Specifically, doing a deep dive in the short end, it does look like the short end is becoming a crowded trade. Um, with sectors that dominate the universe, uh, like bank deposit notes, consumer retail, cables and telco, uh, all trading basically within five basis points of pre-COVID levels. Those sec sectors make up about 60% of the uh, short bond universe, uh, making further spread compression and outperformance uh, a challenge. Just as a, as a note, the, you know, the market in the short end uh, does seem to be squeezed. If you just look at the results of the Bank of Canada corporate bond purchasing program, that program purchased a grand total of zero bonds in July versus 650 inquiries. So I think this is just a testament of, of, um, of the market that is trading on its tights without need of intervention right now. And it, it, it will be a challenge to, to continue to uh, squeeze performance uh, and see further compression uh, in the short end, in my opinion. Um, but for those who remain constructive on credit, like, like I do, um, I would look to extend duration, you know, taking advantage of, uh, of our current low rate environment and by ZCM, so our mid-corporate bond ETF. So mid-spreads uh, haven't tightened as much as we've seen in the short end. And the sectors that have been hit the hardest, oil and gas, pipelines, REITs, they continue to trade significantly wider than historical norms. You know, these sectors make up about 40% of the mid-universe, uh, making it time for further spread compression if you are constructive on credit and feel that you know the economic environment and, and uh, will be a little bit more stable than than some that are uh, having some fears into the fall with that all being said you know we are moving into the fall with uh, some very significant headwinds um, coming towards second wave uh, fears lower reopenings of, of economies uh, in Throughout the country and, and throughout the world, the U.S. election, just to name a, a few. Um, while I remain bullish on credit, uh, due mainly to underutilized um, Bank of Canada support, uh, many investors may look to take their gains and move into a more protected segment. So I would continue to take advantage of duration. Uh, I would look at products like ZGB, our government bond um, ETF, exposing yourself to both provincial and federal bonds across the curve, or looking specifically to target you know, mid or long-term bonds in the federal space through ZFM, so our mid-federal, or ZFL, our long-federal bond ETFs. Uh, these products would keep you protected uh, if you fear that another uh, credit blowout uh, is possible. 
while you'd be able to take advantage of duration while the Bank of Canada keeps rates historically low. So, you know, although I still remain bullish on credit, uh, I do see that, you know, a lot of clients may say, look, we've, we've come almost all the way back to pre-COVID levels. Let's just take the gains and protect myself uh, for what could be just, you know, an uncertain fall. That, that's to say the least. It's going to be an uncertain fall, uncertain fall. So, you know, that would, would be a way to protect yourself and your clients' portfolios, um, you know, ending out 2020. Great. Thanks for that, Matt. I think it's important to re- for people to realize how far credit spreads have actually come back in when, uh, when they're looking at uh, fixed income positioning at the moment. So Charles, let me come back to you, uh, probably with the most topical trade of them all, uh, and that's gold. We've seen gold come off slightly since it broke through uh, 2000 and now, I think right now it's around 1950. Um, do you see this as a pause and a continued ascent? or perhaps a sign of leveling off after such a massive appreciation. As well, if we look at uh, ZGD, which of course is a basket of equal weight gold miners, um, what has led to the recent outperformance uh, of the gold stocks versus gold bullion? And do you view that as something that will will carry on? Thanks. Uh, Very very topical uh, indeed uh, uh, question mark. Um, with respect to gold, let's start with gold as a general concept. Uh, a couple of things happened, actually, four things happened. Um, uh, more recently, the demand for, as a general, for precious metal slipped after President Trump comment on pot- potential tax cut. So, tax cut means more money in American hands, and American investors like to invest in the market. So, more investment in equity market spills the way. Uh, goals appear. Uh, another thing that happened, uh, I don't know if anyone noticed that, uh, we had strong data coming out of China, which suggested that uh, the economy has a broader base uh, for recovery than, uh, than fear. So the third element, uh, which has played against goal, was, of course, the COVID-19 uh, vaccine announced by uh, Putin. Remember, we are in this mess in the first place because because of COVID. So a vaccine is a welcome release for will be a welcome label market. And uh, finally, for uh, as a fact, uh, bond yield and Mark uh, uh, Matt alluded to it uh, went up uh, slightly, uh, making uh, real yield less negative. And we all know that when real yield goes gold price goes down, and vice versa. So when red yields are low, the opportunity cost for gold, for holding gold, and non, actually non-yielding assets is very lower for investors. And because they are not foregoing any investment, uh, in return, they might be making earnings uh, in yielding assets. So those four factors that uh, you know, has caused uh, gold to, uh, to pull back. That said, I don't see this factor persisting over time. They look to me uh, to see, uh, and they seem to me all temporary. That because I don't believe, I don't believe uh, you know, a tax cut is coming in the U.S., as uh, Trump announced. Uh, second of all, and I believe that the data from China need to be confirmed and it have to be broader market to other regions for 
uh, investors feel at ease that the market is actually in a really strong footing for recovery. Uh, also, uh, with respect to Putin vaccine, uh, it looks to me like a stunt or a power play. Remember, you know, nothing against Russia, but that's the saying. There's a saying out there that say Russia only exports four things: oil, gas, nuclear bomb, and trouble. So let's see if Putin delivers. So, uh, and I don't think the vaccine coming anytime soon. So, but to me, the biggest factor, uh, in my opinion. Uh, that is still supportive of gold is the fact that central bank, uh, let's call it like a cartel, are coordinating and printing money at zero rate uh, with no end in sight. And at zero rate, gold will continue to be appealing, never mind any other factor that's going to play in gold uh, against gold. So I see gold uh, pausing at this point here as the market digests all this factor I just mentioned. And it's most, most likely uh, that it can resume its uh, way up. So the caveat is, I see two big risks, uh, two gold upside trends, which is, of course, I just mentioned the development of the vaccine. If you get the vaccine, then gold is in a big trouble there. And the second one is the U.S. election, which is a couple of scenarios. So if we, uh, if we have the U.S. election with a peaceful transition power, and potentially what's going to happen next is a massive investment in infrastructure. That's going to lead to, that's going to, I'm going to give some support to the market. And gold could lose its appeal. On the other hand, if you have a chaotic transition or I don't know, election uh, recount or whatever have you, uh, then the gold is going to have some shining, uh, continue to shine. So there's some risk, but I see mostly upside potential for, uh, for gold given the current market condition. So now, specifically, if you look at ZGD, um, a couple of years back, many mining stock you know, suffered from uh, stock dilution. A company was you know, struggling for cash, they were issuing shares. That kept the valuation pretty low in the sector. And to be frank, uh, corporate, uh, you know, mining corporate was, were going through a sloppy, management uh, period, you know, with, you know, poor hedging and whatever have you. This cycle around looks like uh, mining companies seem to be uh, having lean management, running tighter ship uh, uh, again with less weight. And uh, that have allowed, enabled uh, some of those uh, mining, uh, mining uh, senior to optimize their balance sheet and, uh, and uh, increase their capex. And they're making a, a you know smarter decision. So in that sense, um, all mining companies will have a be, be better prepared to take advantage of the upturning uh, goal in the next couple you know couple quarters. And therefore, ZGD uh, should benefit for the, the overall trend, the overall overall uh, uh, cleaning, if you will, of of the sector and a better positioning for all mining companies. That's how I see uh, gold. You know, manifested itself in the next quarter. And so I am simply really, really bullish uh, one guy in the oil. So now, uh, you know, people have different way of, of mining exposure, right? So uh, people are more sophisticated might say, okay, uh, okay, some people take doing what's called stock replacement. They're taking some profit off the table, but remaining uh, with exposed to gold should gold continues. So there's various ways of staying engaged with gold, but gold has definitely a momentum 
capture the market condition, including uh, the COVID uh, issue, will not uh, easily stop. That's that's my take. Thanks for that, Charles. So yeah, I think I think when we look at this, there's certainly still reason to have it in your portfolio. Yes, we do see some profit taking going on, and you know, investing in the miners gives you that opportunity to invest in companies that have you know, cleaned up uh, their approach and essentially have some operating leverage so they can uh, they can outperform uh, depending on what bullion does. So clearly still value in the portfolios. You're listening to Views from the Desk, a special edition of the BMO ETFs podcast. If you're enjoying the episode, we encourage you to tune in to our deep dive series where we take you under the hood of BMO GAM solutions. Our latest episode features the BMO Quality ETF Suite, a full complement of tools to help you access the best companies from around the world. For more information, please see the episode notes below. Matt, one more question from me before we go to the lines. Um, Let's touch on fixed income yields. We've been getting a lot of questions in from advisors on coupons versus yields. Of course, the coupon is the coupon bond, so it stayed uh, flat uh, while yields have dropped. Can you just comment on uh, the size of that move over the course of this year Um, and, and take it from there? Uh, advisors dealing with taxable, non-taxable accounts, where should they be looking to hold their fixed income? And then as well, and I know this is a number of questions at once, but um, for advisors that, that either buy bonds directly or like ETFs that hold physical bonds, uh, can you spend a couple minutes explaining our discount bond, uh, ZDB, and how it could potentially help advisors? That's definitely the age-old question in fixed income and the challenge in fixed income. So for for years, we've battled with the coupon-to-yield differential within the Canadian fixed income market. Uh, In 2019, uh, as rates began to rise, uh, we started to see uh, a convergence of coupon-to-yield that we really hadn't seen in years. Now, as you mentioned, unfortunately, that's all been reversed due to COVID-19's impact on the market with rates going to historically low levels. So to start the year, just from, to put things into perspective, uh, we saw the differential of coupon to yield, so coupon minus yield, at about 60 basis points. Versus now, we are sitting at, at about 200 basis points. So significantly different. Uh, you know, as coupons have stayed relatively the same, the, the the average coupon in the universe has gone down slightly, but has not has been significantly outpaced, obviously, by uh, the central bank lowering yields and, and us being in a uh, rate environment that we hadn't seen, you know, almost ever. So this differential, you know, 200 basis points, coupon minus yield. Uh, can be significant from a tax perspective. So bond investors, you know, as you know, are, are taxed on the coupon they earn rather than the yield to maturity. So as this divergence between coupon and yield increases, it matters now more than ever where you hold your fixed income. Given this differential is uh, important, it, given this differential, it is very important uh, that you hold your fixed income in non-taxable accounts uh, whenever and wherever possible. In a low uh, interest rate environment, uh, this tax burden can be a significant drag on portfolio performance. 
Now, this, of course, is in a perfect world. We understand that it's not always possible to have all your fixed income in non-taxable accounts. So, what, you know, what can you do about it? So we offer, as, as Mark said, ZDB, our discount bond ETF, which uh, the goal of this ETF is to provide universe bond exposure, so consider it ZAG, ZAG exposure, in a more tax-efficient manner. So a lot of people always often ask, you know, how is that possible without holding synthetics? How is it possible while doing, while actually buying the underlying bonds? So we aim to build a bond portfolio that replicates the Canadian universe by uh, minimizing the differential between coupon and yield, but while still maintaining the overall risk characteristics and performance of the overall universe. So from a portfolio management perspective, we aim to just reduce that differential that, that we were talking about. We aim to reduce that 200 basis points, and we do so by looking to buy a, you know, more recently issued bonds. So generally, more recently issued bonds will have a yield that is more in line with the coupon. But while still focusing on ensuring that we're providing a diversified universe exposure that mimics the uh, return profile of the greater universe. So it's a very unique product. So from a tax per from a performance perspective, you're getting a very, very similar return profile. But from a tax perspective, you're getting taxed at almost half of what you're seeing on the coupon side and a much less differential. So you're actually getting taxed similarly to what you're earning in terms of yield to maturity. So for those that are looking for universe uh, exposure, uh, while also wanting to minimize their tax burden because they're not able to hold their fixed income or all of their fixed income within non-taxable accounts, I think ZDB is a perfect complement for this environment. You know, we are in a low uh, interest rate environment, so you know, giving away significant percentage of your returns or your yield uh, via tax is something that uh, a lot of investors can't can't stomach at this point. So, you know, looking at options like ZDB is a way for you to maintain the exposure profile you're looking for while also taking into tax considerations and doing what's best for your clients' uh, in-pocket return. So that's something that, that we've looked at and innovated with our, our discount bond ETF. And you know, we're seeing a lot of investors use that, especially now when you know, yields are 1.2%, you know, every basis point counts. And, and this is a, a decision that can definitely help uh, your clients take home more at the end of the day. Thanks for that, Matt. So just a, a different approach uh, to building fixed income portfolios, which I think uh, will certainly resonate for anyone that does have to hold a fixed income in a, in a taxable account. At this point, I would like to check if there are any questions on the line for Matt and Charles. Hey, I have a question. Good morning, everyone. My question is around uh, value versus growth. Um, uh, we've seen value ETF slash stocks perform well over the last maybe four or five days in a row. And, and I know that, you know, four or five days uh, obviously doesn't make a long-term trend per se, but uh, we are seeing a bid in value. And just curious as to if I was interested in moving more money into sort of a value approach, um, what ETFs would you recommend um, and, and why value, uh, particularly over growth uh, now? Thank you. You all know, historically, uh, value has a, have a, a pre, uh, almost a decade uh, uh, long uh, trough 
uh, a period where uh, you know uh, return has been challenging. Uh, having said that, uh, there is a lot of uh, uh, underlying risks in the market there. Uh, because keep in mind that the S&P has rallied uh, this year because central bank and have pumped liquidity and fiscal stimulus has pumped all liquidity in the market. So people feel like uh, the market is, you know, almost. Uh, and when you, look, when you look at all the dislocation, you know, inequality be- between what they call uh, Main Street and Wall Street, and it looks like the, the market is running on an empty economy. That has given some people pause for, pause in saying, yes, growth, growth ex- exists, but this is the growth which is uh, littered with a lot of uh, macro risk. So therefore, they're trying to, you know, to preserve value by rotating into um, a value, uh, uh, value investing. So uh, I believe as long as the, as the, the market condition would be fraught with all this risk, value should gain uh, some, some appeal, some momentum in, in the next quarter till uh, either Biden or you know, Trump uh, wins and they have infrastructure a budget next next year and then everything it takes time through the Congress to come uh, to come to uh, uh, to, uh, to to uh, you know uh, to come in effect. But uh, to, well, till we get there, a value should have an exposure a uh, couple quarter at, of of decent uh, decent appeal. So we we do have a, a couple of value uh, of fund, uh, uh, you know. On our ZB, uh, ZBE, uh, uh, that that uh, you know you you, you want to remain invested because in the US uh, uh, US market because uh, the US market you know in, in, in all all, all things considered is the most uh, remain the most solid attractive market though Europe is uh, is uh, kind of uh, uh, you know uh, also doing better than uh, in the past so uh, you you want to remain the value in the in in, in in the U.S., uh, and we have that value uh, uh, that you should be uh, should be investing that. Uh, That's great. Thank you. Good morning. When evaluating fixed income, advisors and portfolio managers often consider both active and passive solutions. One passive and extremely low-cost ETF that I've noticed that's really stood out is ZAG, the Demo Aggregate Bond Index ETF. Can you please speak to why this has performed so well, going back to peak COVID in March right through today? And another part of my question, given its duration of 8.5 and distribution yield of 2.9%, should investors consider this a complement to their existing holdings or even as a replacement as we go along in this low interest rate environment? Thank you. I can take that one. Yes, Zog really gives you a little bit of everything, um, you know, which is very attractive in an un- uncertain um, environment. So as I discussed earlier, you know, ZCM, ZSM, ZGB, ZFL, you know, these are all active decisions that we can make to target specific areas on the yield and credit curve. Um, the challenging part about that, though, is during uncertain times, that targeting can be challenging. When to target, when to put on the trade, when to take it off. Um, you know, Zag provides a lot of investors a solution, and, and we're seeing um, 
it's one of our, our fastest growing ETFs this year, also being the largest uh, fixed income ETF in Canada that provides exposure to the entire market. So it would enable you to take advantage of some of the upside uh, in terms of spread compression because of its 30% holdings in corporate bonds, uh, while protecting you on the downside via government exposure, um, government exposure via uh, provincial uh, and federal bonds. So as the duration is very attractive, as you mentioned, at eight and a half years, uh, you know, it, it's going to provide you some upward exposure or increased or upward exposure from low, low interest rate environment. Really, it's, it's a perfect solution for those who view this fall and, and this market as uncertain and want to, you know, rather than pick and choose exactly where they want to go in the market, they want to put there, they want to put it in a one-stop solution that will provide some upside, some protection, all while making sure you're, you remain invested rather than sitting on the sidelines. Um, and then from a historical, uh, because we're in a historically low rate environment, you know, the fee of eight basis points and giving you that flexibility of, of some upside as well as some downside protection, you know, that fee does not drain on or drag on performance as many active funds or, or more higher fee products may. So I think that from, from in, in a low interest rate environment where the yield is 1.2%, you know, that eight basis points becomes very significant because it, it is significantly lower than many of its peers and provides, you know, a lot of just aggregate exposure that allows investors to stay in the market providing protection and upside appreciation. So, you know, I really do think it is, it is a perfect, um, uh, it, it's perfect for the, the current uncertainty in the market to ensure that your clients can remain invested um, while providing some safety nets in place to ensure that, you know, they're not going to um, get hit so significantly with if credit blows out into the fall. Fantastic. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great. Well, thanks for those questions. We'd like to thank everyone for dialing in. Uh, we really appreciate your time. Uh, thanks for listening in and thanks for the questions. Of course, thanks to both Matt and Charles. Uh, we appreciate your, your insights, some of your trade ideas, uh, and just giving us a few talking points that we can bring back to our own conversations. So with that, I'd like to thank everyone once again. Uh, be well and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you. Thank you to Mark Race, Matt Montemuro, and Charles Monsieur for joining us on the BMO ETFs podcast. Today, we heard valuable ideas on how to play the market during a period of sky-high valuations and low interest rates. Specifically, Matt mentioned the BMO Discount Bond Index ETF, ticker ZDB, as a tax-efficient exposure for your clients because alleviating any extra drag on the portfolio can be a game-changer when yield is hard to find. For more information about the ETFs discussed in this podcast, please see the episode notes below, contact your regional BMO ETF specialist, or visit bmoetfs.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you have any questions you would like addressed in future episodes, please send them to Andrew Vachon, A-N-D-R-E-W dot V-A-C-H-O-N at bmo.com. Thanks again for listening. See you next time. The viewpoints expressed by the portfolio manager represent their assessment of the markets at the time of publication. Those views are subject to change without notice at any time without any kind of notice. The information contained herein is not and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice to any party. 
Investments should be evaluated relative to the individual's investment objectives, and professional advice should be obtained with respect to any circumstance. Any statements that necessarily depend on future events may be a forward-looking statement. Forward-looking statements are not guarantees of performance. Views from the Desk has been brought to you by BMO Global Asset Management. 